O God, who instructs the hearts of your faithful by the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to be truly wise and live as your people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. With the diversity of backgrounds that enliven our congregation, I wonder how many, like me, felt a shudder go down their spines as the gospel was read. I wonder how many in our congregation have heard these verses before, where they were not only an encouragement to ask God for what was needed or wanted, but also served as a litmus test of our faith based on the outcome of our prayers. Verses that were used to where God was reduced to the Santa Claus of the rich children, that if you simply asked with enough faith, you would be granted what you were asked for, even up to the removal of trees or perhaps mountains. If that was your experience, then this morning I'm here to offer you peace and hope, and for all of us, some very good news. Sometimes, Taking a fresh look at the text opens it up in new ways, provided we are willing to look backwards starting at the prior verses of Luke. The chapter opens with Jesus telling his disciples that it is impossible for scandals not to happen, that things may occur that affect others to the extent that they abandon their faith. The call that God has placed on each one of us in our lives is so very important that it must never be hindered or blocked. As followers of Christ, the way we live matters because others are influenced by the way that we live. Even if these difficulties may arise, the verse still indicates that there is grief for the one who causes it to happen, even to the point that it should never happen, but should it, that it would be better that a giant rough stone used for grinding grain be attached to their neck and they be thrown into the sea. That's how critical our communal life is. Jesus continues speaking with the disciples that not only is it important to live without hindering the faith of another, but that we are called to live in deep relationship so that if we sin, we can address it with each other. We are called then to be people of continuous forgiveness, that as followers of Jesus, we are prepared to forgive each other if needed seven times in one day if the person repents and asks. I think that's a lot. Now, this does not mean that if we are being harmed and mistreated, we are to remain in harm's way. So I want to make it very, very clear, because this verse has been used against people in abusive relationships that you should just forgive over and over every time they ask. That is not what the verse is talking about. And if you need assistance, please come and see me or one of the ministers. We're here to help. This is definitely not a call to remain in an abusive situation because that does not honor God. But there are people in our lives that may need someone to believe in them over and over and over again. People that fail and need another chance and we cannot close our hearts to them. We cannot write them off or consider them to be of no value because sometimes that person's me. 
Being a disciple of Jesus offers a way of life that is different from what the world says when it says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Let's live locked and loaded. Let's find out who drew first blood, or one that counts up offenses and plans for payback or revenge. The life that Jesus invited his disciples into, the life that Jesus invites us into, is filled with caring for others, honestly talking with each other when sin is present because it harms them and the whole community, and to forgive constantly. If we harbor or nurture unforgiveness, we are hindered, and we carry that weight with us. Forgiveness frees us to walk more fully into what God has called us without the burden that comes with hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness. In 1947, a woman was speaking in Munich, Germany. She spoke of the experience she and her sister had after being taken to the Nazi concentration camp of, of Ravensbrück. Her family had been murdered and her sister did not survive. What was their crime? They were Christians who had hidden Jews who were escaping the Holocaust in Holland. As she spoke, she noticed a man in the back listening to her, and she recognized him as one of her former guards. When the program ended, he went to her. He shared that he had come to faith in Christ, that Christ had forgiven him of all he had done, and he requested that she forgive him, and he extended his hand. She writes that it was the longest moment of her life. How could she forgive someone who, was, who had caused such harm to so many and had taken her beloved sister away from him, from her? In what seemed like ages, she weighed whether or not to extend her hand because her losses were so very great. In that moment, she chose to forgive. And she remarked, I have never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. Her name was Corrie Ten Boom. She was a Holocaust survivor and the author of the book, The Hiding Place. Forgiveness is not a quick fix. Forgiveness is not cheap. Sometimes it takes a while, and sometimes the situation is never fixed. Forgiving him did not restore her sister or her family, but it began to heal something within her, and that's part of what forgiveness does. To this invitation of extraordinary forgiveness, the disciples exclaimed to Jesus, increase our faith, because it takes faith to live out the gospel. All of us have people in our lives that draw us to prayer, places where we feel especially vulnerable, with histories that are painful, and to live as Christ calls us to live requires faith. Jesus' response to their request is not a declaration that he would increase their faith, nor did he give them the four steps to fantastic faith or any method to increase their faith as being necessary. Instead, Jesus tells them 
what even a little faith can do, that even a little faith can do great things, that even their tiny faith that they feel was insufficient was enough. It's not about quantity, it's not about quantity. It is recognizing that the work of faith in our lives enables us to do extraordinary things, even if we don't think it's enough. Because doing these extraordinary things are just what the kingdom of God is made of. Being alert to how we affect one another, gently offering and receiving correction, forgiving constantly is our way of life. It is so normal that Jesus compares it to what a servant or a slave is expected to do. When Jesus does not commend the slave for doing what he's expected to do, it reminds us that living in the way that Jesus asks of us is the life that we're invited into. Sometimes it's easy and it's filled with joy. And other times, well, it's difficult and it feels nearly impossible. The servant is tired. He's been in the field all day. He's worked. He has more work to do, and it's a challenge. I suppose we would say he was hangry by that time. Likewise, for us, a lifestyle of continual forgiveness can be challenging, and yet it is expected of us. Each time we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The Lord asks nothing of us that he hasn't already done and continues to do. Each Sunday, as we confess our sins together, asking for forgiveness that's offered so freely and that we are so in need of, it appears. And with whatever faith we have, we are absolved, pronounced forgiven from whatever has separated us from God. Imagine if we live this way all the time, if the petty faults that are inflicted upon us were met with abundant forgiveness and we began to work on the greater faults that have been inflicted upon us, if we recognize that we are all deeply beloved, even the ones who cause us grief, and that is the way that God has designed us. What if we live that way? What a wonderful world it could be.